Okay, hi friends. Welcome to our first ever episode of the Inspire Literacy Podcast. That is a mouthful. <laughs> um, so I guess since this is our first episode, we should probably introduce ourselves, right? Sounds great. Okay, so I'll start. Um, my name is Erica Reardon. I am a literacy coach, um, was a former reading specialist and classroom teacher, and, um, you know, really came to this work um, after being trained from the Teachers College Reading and Writing Project, um, who I think we both would say closely follow, you know, their work and, and attend their trainings and staff development and coaching institutes and all the things, right? So um, that's a big part of who we are and, um, you know, our belief system. Um, when I am not working with teachers, either inside of their classrooms or now virtually, which is so crazy to even think about, um, I have three kids of my own. I have a rising sixth grader, rising third grader, rising first grader, um, who keep me awfully busy. Um, and I guess I should say I most recently relocated from California to Texas, in particular, North Texas, the Dallas area. Um, and, you know, basically in a nutshell, that's who I am. Okay. Shara, who are you? I'm Shara Rodriguez and I follow a very similar path to Erica. Um, I was a classroom teacher, taught almost every grade level, and then became a reading specialist and then a literacy coach. And I feel so lucky that I have been trained by some of the smartest people out there at Teachers College. Um, been so lucky to be in cohorts with other coaches and just really learn um, from the best. Um, I am living my dream or I was living my dream pre-COVID when I was in classrooms next to teachers um, every day next to kids and really making a difference for kids and teachers. Um, and then COVID hit and we had to figure it out, which is what we did. And we're so excited to be here with you with our new podcast where we're going to share all the things with you. Yeah. So I guess I should say, um, Shara and I put together, make up Inspire Literacy in case, um, you know, you guys don't know who we are. And so Shara is really the K2 guru. Um, and I mostly support third through eighth grade. Um, and so you might often hear us speak about, you know, those two grade band or grade bands, um, you know, a little bit differently. Um, and so a big portion of the work that we do is we support schools and school districts that are implementing um, readers and writers workshop. This podcast for um, when we we're thinking about creating this podcast, it's really for um, teachers, principals, um, administrators, um, school leaders who are, as Shara said, looking to be inspired um, with all things literacy um, related. Um, and so we will be addressing lots of topics, you know, across, um, across reading and writing. Um, and that's really who it's for, right? Exactly. 
Um, and so today we thought that we would start um, with a really important topic, which is what does reading workshop mean to us? Why should teachers teach reading workshop? What does it look like? What does it feel like? This is our busy season and we're you know, busy training teachers who are thinking about the start of next year, especially with the years that they've had. And so we wanted to start with the basics. And so we're going to get through as much as we can, but please know that um, if you have any questions or you want more information that you can reach out to us and we're happy to um, talk to you more about Reading Workshop. Yeah, and I think this topic is especially important because, you know, kind of how you touched on, we're coming out of COVID. I mean, the most crazy year and a half we as in education have ever <laughs> had to experience. And, you know, when we were training teachers, kind of thinking back, like we, you and I were like, where do we even start with this whole like virtual learning and hybrid learning and all the things we went through, but you and I had all these conversations and we finally were just like, no, no, no. We always have to bring it back to the basics. Like, why do we do this work? What do we believe in? Because it was really easy for us to get away from what we believed in um, and start doing crazy things. And so I think one of the reasons why we we chose to launch episode one with this topic is because we now hopefully are coming out of this crazy COVID year and hopefully moving back into more normalcy where we can sort of have a resurgence, if you will, of, you know, our beliefs and uh, making sure we're sticking true to those. And, you know, the other day, actually, I was talking to uh, a middle school principal um, and I asked him like, oh, what's the curriculum, you know, at your middle school? And he was explaining to me that, oh yeah, we're shifting to a workshop approach. And I thought, oh, yay, great. Um, but then as he started to <laughs> explain his version of workshop, um, it was very different from ours, very different. And so um, it made me realize, yeah, it made me realize like, oh boy, like maybe we should really, if we're going to launch this podcast, really be clear with our listeners of what, what we think of when we talk about workshop. Yeah. So I guess we're, go ahead. I think the first thing that we want to think about is um, getting kids excited about reading and building independent readers and mm -hmm. building a community of learners we think that that is one of the most important things about reading workshop, that mm -hmm. reading isn't necessarily a science, that I'm mm -hmm. not telling you what to read. I don't know how excited you're going to be. I mean, think back to like when you were in school and your teachers told you exactly what to read. Were you excited about that? No, it was awful. It was yeah. awful. Yeah. yeah. And think also back to school when you were in school and did you have kids around you who you wanted to like talk books and be in book clubs with and things like that. Yeah. Do you remember Shara, like what made you a reader? Like what made you sort of like fall in love with reading? Oh, that's, that's an interesting question. Cause it was actually, it started very early for me. Um, I, it was my first grade teacher and she did what a lot of teachers that we know do. And she would always bring new books to me and she would show me the book and she would get me excited about the book. And I had this whole bin of books that she had personally picked out for me. I think I was her favorite student. 
Um, huh, and- imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> She got me so excited about reading like every day. I could not wait to get to her classroom Mm -hmm. and see what Miss James had picked out for me. Um, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily had people that I taught or kids, other kids I talked to about my book. So that's something that I think is important in, in our classrooms is, Mm -hmm. you know, that we're all readers and that um, there's lots of books out there and like sharing with each other the kids sharing with each other even like books that they love and books that they think other kids would enjoy um it just goes with this whole idea of being being a community of learners from a very very young age yeah I mean I think about my own school career and I mean I went to Catholic schools as you know and it was very traditional I mean we um, I remember specifically the basil. It was orange. It was, you know, really thick. And I remember dreading reading time as a kid because it was round robin reading. And um, it was like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm going to have to sit and listen to poor Bill Stevenson, you know, trudge through this text. And I'd be the kid that was like reading, like, you know, way ahead and, and reading for me at, at a very young age was, was not something that I chose. It was not until I was probably in about fourth grade. And I think my teacher read aloud one of the fudge books, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and I was like, I couldn't get enough of it. I mean, she read the first one aloud. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I want to read the next one. And then the next one. So it was really that series that hooked me into reading. And then I couldn't get enough of, you know, all those favorite series that we read when we were in fourth and fifth grade, you know, the, all the Beverly Cleary books and then yeah. the babysitters club books. So Sweet Valley High, did you read Sweet Valley High books? I did. I did. Yes, I did. (laughs) Yes. But yeah, I think essential one is, is definitely, we want to make sure we're thinking about ways to, to build that community first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then building off of that, like our, our second sort of why behind reading workshop is, um, is that, time and volume matter most, right? So um, it's just like the research shows us time and time again, um, over and over that what matters most for kids is the time that they spend with eyes um, on books. And so when we think of workshop, we think of the majority of time is spent with kids reading books, over and over and over again, you know, um, of their own choosing and, um, for long, you know, sustained periods of time. And so it's really not, um, you know, a time where kids are sitting at centers, Mm -hmm. you know, or kids are doing ditto worksheets or gosh, I don't know what other things they could be doing during that time, but. (laughs) Well, in, in, does it mean like workshops should be taught almost every day? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I always say, I always think it's like, it's getting on the treadmill, right? Mm-hmm. Like when I haven't exercised in, you know, a few days, it's harder to do it mm-hmm. harder to get back on that treadmill. Um, I forget the settings. I forget, you know, how long I can go for. And I start to talk myself out of it as opposed to if I'm doing it more on the regular it's not as hard. I want to get back on the treadmill. I remember my settings, Mm -hmm. you know, I can do it for longer and longer. And it's, I think it's true for kids too. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, the workshop that we, we love is, and that we believe in is, is definitely every day, every day. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that sometimes it's helpful to, especially at this time when we're thinking about starting the year and we have those blank calendars or your blank plan book to mm-hmm. pencil it in, mm-hmm. pencil it four days a week, pencil it five days a week, because you know, you're, you're going to have an assembly or you're going to have a field trip that might yep. come up. And if we're only scheduling it two or three times a week, and then something comes up, then there's no consistency built. No, right? yeah. We've got to make it a priority and we have to put that block of time first. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So that's the second one. So what, what would we say comes next? I would say that, um, choice, giving kids choice, going back to sort of the idea about the basil. So, um, my first year of teaching, I actually taught out of a basil, um, Mm -hmm. and you know, everybody would turn to page 23 and we would read (laughs) a portion of the book. And like you're saying, you kids were not excited about reading. Some kids were reading way ahead. Some kids were reading way ahead so that when it was their turn to read, they could actually read the words on the page and they wouldn't feel, you know, insecure about that. Um, And some kids would read way ahead because it wasn't their level. And Mm -hmm. so we think that it's really important that kids have a choice within reason um, from from a classroom library Mm -hmm. that they are able to go to baskets of books and choose books that... Um, are at or around their level and that they um, are reading a variety of genres. I think that's really important too, that we're exposing kids to, you know, lots of different genres. I think of kids in my experience who will always be drawn to nonfiction and Mm -hmm. they will read nonfiction and know every fact about every animal out there, just as much as there's kids who love realistic fiction and that's all they'll read. And we want to strengthen all of our reading muscles. And so we want to give kids choice and around different kinds of books and different genres. Um, It makes me even think about, well, it makes me think about myself as a teacher and also about my daughter, because I would have never picked up historical fiction um, as a reader. And when I taught fourth grade, um, I taught a historical fiction unit and it blew my mind what we were asking kids to do. It was so amazing to see kids um, fall in love with historical fiction. And then I got to experience it from the other side because one of my daughters is was obsessed with fantasy and that's all every book that we would talk about. And I would try to encourage her to read. <laughs> she didn't want to read. All she would read was fantasy. She was literally obsessed. Um, and her teacher last year started the historical fiction unit and she was kind of like grumbling about it, not super excited. And she ended up falling in love with historical fiction, um, read every Dear America book there is, mm-hmm. which by the way, many are out of print and you have to order them from thrift books to mm-hmm. I couldn't purchase them fast enough, but it was so exciting to see her open her her eyes to different genres. And then to really think about not only the, the fictional part of it, but also the history of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and she decided over the summer, she's going to write her own historical fiction 
book, which is a huge thing because she hates writing. So I just think, oh my gosh, the gift that we can give kids when mm-hmm. we can give them a choice of books to read. Yeah, that's I'll amazing. I'll open up to page 23 and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and you know, I always think too, sometimes when I'm training teachers, this often can be one of the biggest shifts for them, um, especially like I think older grades or middle school teachers, right? Because they're so used to teaching their beloved, you know, um, what is that book that everyone teaches in California that I always forget? Where the, oh, where Island the, of the Blue Dolphins? Oh, Island of the Blue Dolphins, you know one of those, right. They get sucked into, but what about that book? And, um, it's not that we can't teach those beloved books anymore. We can't read those aloud, but, um, we're really trying to, you know, um, teach kids and expose kids in the real process so that when they walk out of our classroom and they walk into a library or a bookstore, um, they know how to find the books that they love. And so I think that's, that's amazing. Okay, so what's next? Let's see. Uh, we talked about getting them excited, time and volume choice. Um, I think, you know, then if kind of what tags um, onto that is just this idea that it's just not enough to hand kids books and give them time to read, that we have to also provide explicit instruction around, you know, what good readers do. Um, And I actually was thinking about this just the other night because I was watching um, swim team practice. All three of my kids, as you know, swim and we just moved to Texas. So we're on a new swim team. So there's a little bit of a different philosophy, I guess you would say. And McKenna, who's six, you know, just first year on swim team, I'm watching her in swim team practice. And it's all about like, just get in the pool and swim, just get in the pool and swim back and forth, back and forth. And I'm watching her, you know, do crazy things in the pool, you know, her slapping her arms or, you know, forgetting to even move her arms and just kicking. And, and I'm just thinking like, oh, in my head, like, oh man, I wish someone would stop her and give her some feedback, you know, so that she's, it's not reinforcing those bad habits. Um, and so I think that's true with our readers too, right? Like, it's just not enough to say, here you go. Here's some great books. We have to also then, you know, show them how do we think about books? How do we talk about books? Um, what do we do when we get to tricky words? Like all those things. Yeah. So, yeah, that demonstration piece is really important in the workshop model, right? Using those words, watch me as I, and really becoming, the learner for your students so that they can see you really demonstrate and then have them try it after they've seen you demonstrate that we're not just going to talk about it or assign it, but we're actually going to, I'm going to show you how to do it Mm -hmm. and then ask you to try it. Yeah. Perfect. What's next? There's got to be something we're missing. What is it? Um, Let's see. Read aloud. We for sure Mm -hmm. want to include read aloud Mm -hmm. every day, Mm -hmm. right? And and I think the purpose behind this is, I'm just going to speak for the younger kids or the younger grades. One of the purposes is to give kids access to higher level texts, right? Like I think about kindergartners who are reading those A, B, C, D books that have very few words on a page, 
um, sometimes have a pattern to them. They're working on solving words and there's not a whole lot to talk about. Like we can't say like, why do you think the character did that? Mm -hmm. Say let's, um, you know, we can retell, but that's very basic comprehension. Mm -hmm. Um, So we want, especially in the younger grades, the purpose would be to read aloud these beautiful picture books that do have complex characters in them and do have a real problem and a solution. And we can get kids to talk and to think and to act out, um, Mm -hmm. you know, those, the parts of the book or how the character's feeling. We can even start to think about character traits because they can't do that in the books, the very simple books that they're reading. And this is going to pave the foundation, right? For once they do get into those higher level books, they will have had the listening comprehension and the oral language to explore those books that Mm -hmm. they'll then have some stronger comprehension skills that they can apply to books that, you know, are a little bit more, more hard. Yeah. I guess. And I think building on that, just because I mainly work with upper grade teachers and, and middle school teachers, like sometimes upper grade teachers, we forget how powerful the read aloud can be, or, or sometimes there's this misconception that read aloud only belongs in a K2 classroom, mm-hmm. but we certainly um, believe that read aloud in, in all the ways you just said, right? It's very powerful instructional time of the day. And I always say like, it's where we get to practice and orchestrate like all the skills that we're teaching inside of whatever unit we're teaching. So, and, and I always say that it's not hair braiding time because one of my times going back to when we were in school was when you would sit on the carpet after lunch and the person behind you would braid your hair and back. that's not the kind of read aloud, although it was (laughs) one of my favorite times of the day. That's not this kind of read aloud. This is really like an interactive read aloud where kids are thinking and acting and Yes. Interacting with the text. Yeah. And I guess the final thing that we've been touching on is just our belief around workshop is that it's, it's beyond just reading, right? That um, we know that real reading also involves kids being engaged in talking and writing in response to what they're reading. And um, of course, that looks very different in a kindergarten classroom than what it does in a fifth or or middle school classroom. But, um, you know, I always say like our curriculum, our workshop curriculum is a curriculum of discourse. We are teaching kids explicitly how to um, respond in, in thoughtful ways to the text that they're reading. Awesome. Yeah. So that there you have it. Yeah. I think we did a pretty good job with that all in, all in like under 20 minutes. I mean, that's pretty impressive. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's the nuts and bolts, right? That's why we do what we do. And, and, um, and it works and And kids get excited Mm -hmm. about reading and the classrooms we're in kids are growing in their reading. Yep. Absolutely. It's amazing to see that happen. Okay, so um, what we were thinking when we're thinking about how to structure, you know, this podcast, um, we're thinking like every week we might have a topic that we address. And then we're also thinking about like maybe every podcast we address one question. And so we're hoping 
that over time, our listeners will be able to send us questions that's on their mind um, that they would love to have answered. But for now, we just finished up a round of training um, new teachers. And so we um, were able to collect some questions. And I think, Shara, you have one. So let's start with one of the questions from your group. So there was a lot of questions around classroom libraries. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many books do I need? And how do I get to know all the books in my library if I'm supposed to talk to kids about what they're reading and I don't know any of the books? So I just wanted to spend a couple minutes thinking about that. So how many books do you need, I think, is really determined by the levels of students in your classroom. Mm -hmm. We want to, going back to volume, we didn't talk specifics about volume, how many kids, how many books kids need in a week, Um, but they need a lot of books. A lot. And yes. they, yeah, especially at the lower levels, they need a lot of books. Um, so, and then how do we get to know those? Um, and I always suggest, especially again, I'm going to, you can talk about upper grade and think about more like up to second grade is there's a lot of series books. I mean, the earlier books, earlier level books are quick and easy. You can read over a child's shoulder and quickly figure out what the book is about. But once you get into chapter books at those lower levels, like, um, you know, there's Henry and Mudge and Katie Wu and those types of books, Pedro. And then you move up to like Magic Treehouse or um, I don't know, uh, A to Z Mysteries, things like that. I would just read one book in the series and then you'll get to know who the characters are. You'll get to know how they act and those kinds of books at those lower levels, the characters are going to be relatively the same, maybe not as much in A to Z mysteries, but definitely in magic tree house. You can read one magic tree house book and know how Jack and Annie are. Um, and it's kind of fun to, especially over summer to just take home a couple of your books, um, and read them and get to know them. And then you can get excited about them and then you can share them with your students and your kids will get excited. And guess what? They're going to want to read every book that you recommend books that hadn't yep. been touched in my shelf. If I would do a book buzz about it or get excited about it, guess what? Everybody wanted to read those books. And so I think just choosing a few and getting excited about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so true. Like once I ever talked of any book, it was like, it was gold you know, yeah. and you couldn't have enough copies of that book or that series in your yeah. library. They would just be gone. Um, you know, and I think in the upper grades, um, I always say to teachers, like, don't stress it, you know, because you're never going to know all of the books in your library. You're just not, it's impossible. Mm-hmm. And really like workshop is a shift away from we're teaching the books. Mm-hmm. to really we're teaching the reader and we're teaching the reader how to think about books instead of, you know, oh, I need to know, you know, the, the, I don't know, 10 page synopsis of, you know, Island of the Blue Dolphin. I don't know. I mean, poor Island of the Blue Dolphins getting such a bad rap today. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just what's on the top of my mind, I guess. But, um, But yeah, and in terms of, you know, how much do you need in the upper grades, I think often what becomes a challenge for workshop teachers um, is having like sets of books for book clubs, right? So when, when we get into like third grade and up, we often try to get kids 
engaged in a book club. And so then you need like four or five copies um, of books and things like that. So that can be, be challenging. Um, and who was that? Claire, Claire Lon, I can't say her last name, Claire Londrigan, mm-hmm. right? She wrote that book, um, which now I don't have right here next to me about, um, you know, basically how to curate your, your library. And, um, she's done a lot of like podcasts and things like that too, um, around, classroom libraries. So that might be a good resource to check out. Yeah. Okay. I see we're out of time. Um, so I'm going to close us out by inviting everyone to check us out. If you haven't already on Instagram, we are inspire literacy. Um, so that's easy to remember. Um, we're doing our best to update social media, but we are just literacy coaches and not social media, you know, moguls, but yeah, right. (laughs) Influencers or whatever you call that. Um, And we also do now have a website. So check us out there. It's www.inspireliteracy.net. We hope you leave today with something that's inspired you to think more about reading workshops. Yeah. Please send us your questions. You can send us your questions through Instagram or um, even I think there's a way to message us through um, our website if you don't have other ways to get a hold of us. Okay. Until next time. Bye. Bye.